I put uh, in the bulletins this morning the prayer of illumination for us all to pray, which is good. Normally I pray it alone, but providentially I'll have your voices as well. And that prayer is one that is, is, is aptly titled traditionally this prayer of illumination. Uh, because what we're asking is that God would give us light to take that which he has revealed to us, even in his word already. It's nothing new that we're praying for here. But he would take that which is in his word and, 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 and give it light, light to our eyes, light to our mind, light to our very hearts and souls so we would see it. So this, this prayer that uh, we pray before I read the scripture isn't sort of a traditional thing or a throwaway or something we need to do before we get started. It's very real because we need this. Again, in the age that is to come, we will see all things clearly. The age in which we live, we pray that God will enable us to see here what is there. We're asking him to intrude upon our present moment that which is in glory and that which is to come. This is praying the kingdom to come. And so when we pray this prayer of illumination, it, it's that. We're asking God to enable us to see now that which is in glory and that which will come. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thus we pray. By your spirit, attend the word read and preached. Seal it to our minds and hearts. Enlighten us where we have been careless in thought and life. Reclaim all who have wandered from your truth. Establish and strengthen all who are weak. Bring comfort and faith to all who doubt. Equip us for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll turn, if you will, to 2 Kings in chapter 4. I want to read first seven verses. 2 Kings in chapter 4, please. <clears throat> Hear the word of God. <clears throat> now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves, and Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil, and then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your son 
can, sons can live on the rest. Now, remember, we first uh, took up these uh, uh, narrative passages of First and Second Kings with the prophet Elijah. We did that during that Lenten time period when we were thinking about Jesus coming to deal with our sin. And, and the temptation that he faced in that and taking upon himself humanity and living our lives and being victorious over everything at which we fail and sin. And so we were taking that up during this Lenten time. Elijah was a good way for us to get into that because Elijah came into ancient Israel during a time when Israel was filled with idolatry and thus he came to confront the sin of the nation as Jesus came to confront the sin of the world. And so we took that up. It was helpful to us during that time. And we saw the call of Elijah the prophet of the people to repentance. And even then, he would be the forerunner of the Messiah through the person of John the Baptist. And, and, and John, you remember, came in the spirit of Elijah, and he came to call the people to repentance to prepare the way of the Lord, which he did. He also prepared the way of the Lord, we noticed last Sunday, by himself uh, suffering and dying. Uh, and, and, and thus then the Lord came, the Lord Jesus. Now this next prophet is the prophet Elisha. And Elisha, you remember, follows in the spirit of Elijah as well. He comes. Elijah had cast his mantle upon him, so he was next in line to be the, the prophet, the prophet, and the one who would, who would sort of oversee all these other prophets that are called in this passage and the passage, passages before it, the sons of the prophets, this sort of seminary or school of, of prophets who were there in the land to, to speak the word of God and to lead the people and all of that. And Elijah first and then Elisha now was kind of head of that seminary experience, head of that, head of that school of the prophet, head of those sons of the prophets. And so uh, Elisha comes uh, and remember, he asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, uh, not being arrogant, meaning that he wanted to be twice as good as Elijah, but knowing his need, and he needed to have all that Elijah had. And so, like a firstborn son would get the double portion of, of uh, inheritance from his father so that he could carry on and oversee everything, uh, Elijah, Elisha comes in that same idea and says, all right, I need a double portion so that I can oversee everything that Elijah, Elijah had had been overseeing, and so he receives that, and, and, and then we come into these narrative passages uh, about, about Elijah. What I want to do today is put these miracles of Elisha uh, sort of in perspective for us, to give us kind of a framework out of which we can grab a hold of and understand them, and I say that because when we read through uh, these uh, miracles, really, of Elisha, sometimes they're hard to get a handle on in the sense of asking the question, well, how does this really apply to me? I mean, I just read this passage this morning kind of as a representative uh, one of all of these miracles. Um, next Sunday, we'll pick up this situation in chapter 5, uh, which will be a little more straightforward for us, I think. We'll see something there more easily seen than in some of these other miraculous passages of Elisha. Um, in fact, I'll even say this, that I think what we find in 2 Kings chapter 5, the whole narrative, it's a long one, may be as good a picture 
of what it means to receive unmerited favor that is that for which we cannot pay. So that's next week. But this week, um, these, these narratives like this one, we find them all the way through. They're, they're sort of snippets. They're choppy. They're, they're, they're like this a woman. She's one of the wives of the school uh, of the prophet uh, men. And so Elisha has a relationship in, in some sense, of course, with her because he's the, sort of the principal or the headmaster of this, this, these sons of the prophets. And, and, and her husband dies. She's left a widow with children. And, and, and now she looks to Elisha, how do I take care of myself? And, and so we see this miracle. It's not unlike some of the miracles that we saw in the life of Elijah, uh, but, but, but you see this miracle. She, she goes out and collects this oil. She fills up a jar, and, and it becomes worth so much that she can sell it and then live off of it. And she and her sons, uh, not just that day, but for the days to come. And so you get the sense that this, is, this, is, this will be sufficient for her. And you go, great. That means I need to go knock on my neighbor's door and get all the oil I can and fill up a jar and I'll be fine. And we go, no, that's not what it means. And we say, well, then what does it mean? Well, certainly it means that God cares for us. Not quite that way, not quite in, in that with that provision, I suppose, but, 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 but that he does care, and he cares for his own. This is a, a woman whose husband uh, was a prophet, and, and, and so you see, even in this land, this dark land of Israel at that time, when, when and there was great idolatry, there were few really in that sense proportionally who were following after the Lord, uh, and, and these prophet sons of the prophets were, and Elisha was, and so you can see how God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. We go, yes, that's good. I, I, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but, but, but I get that. And I can grab a hold of that. The next passage that comes along, if you have a Bible that has little headings, you don't have to read the whole thing. But, but the heading in, in my Bible is Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Sounds like it should be on at like one o'clock in the afternoon during the week, you know, on some sort of soap opera kind of. But, but this Shunammite woman, this woman from, as you might suspect, Shunam, um, it's a wealthy woman, so it's not just a widow woman, it's not a poor, you know, we expect the poor to be taken. This is a wealthy woman, but, but, but she is wealthy enough so that she's able to put together this room for, for Elisha to stay in. She, she sees him traveling back and forth, and so she says he needs a, a room to stay, and, and so she puts this room together for him, and, um, and uh, probably needle points a bunch of things, it's about prophets, you know, puts it up. And, uh, and, and, and so he can come anytime and stay there. And it's a great blessing to him. So he, the prophet, interestingly says to him, okay, how can I help you? What do you need? She says, I don't have a son. And thus, she doesn't have an heir. And her husband is old. And Elisha says, you'll have a son. The next year she does. He grows up, becomes a teenager. He dies. And Elisha sends his staff and lays on the boy and it doesn't bring him back to life. They pray, doesn't the mom, and then it doesn't bring him back to life. So Elisha goes and does what Elijah had done on a previous occasion, lays on the child and he comes back to life. And you go, good, what's that mean? Well, you spiritualize it and say, well, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We'll go there with this because we've got to do something with this passage. And so we'll go there with it. And you go, oh, that's good. Well, then the, the passage that follows after that is a group of the sons of the prophets are sitting around and they're hungry because a famine has come in the land. Because remember, it's an idolatrous time in ancient Israel. And, 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 and so God is cursing the nation. And, and, and so, so here, even those who are followers are affected by that famine. And so Elisha comes to them, you know, again, the sons of the prophets, they're in school, and, and they're eating together in the 
cafeteria, and they have no food. So Elisha says, put on a pot of stew. And one of the men goes out and he gathers a bunch of wild gourds. And he comes and he puts them in the stew. Uh, he was a guy. They probably should have sent someone who really knew about stew. And so they, they, but he found these wild gourds in a time of famine, puts them in the stew. The stew's horrible. They think it's going to kill them. It's toxic. And so Elisha comes and says, let me give you some flour. He throws some flour in. It makes it better. And they have stew. You go, great. I was wondering what we're going to do for lunch. Now I know. How does this help us? What do, what do we do with this? Passage after that, a person comes into the place where the school of the prophets is, where the sons of the prophets are, and he has a little bit of bread, and he says, I want to give this to you, a great treat in a famine time. But, but, but they say, there's a hundred of us. This will feed a hundred of us. But it does. And they have some left over. We're reminded of Jesus feeding in the 5,000. On another situation, we find that that the school of the, the sons of the prophets say we need more space. We don't have enough dormitory space. So they go down by the Jordan to build more space. So they get to get some trees to build more space. They chop down the trees. Uh, one of the sons of the prophets is there and he has an axe. And as he's, as he's chopping and so forth, the axe head comes off and goes into the water. And he says, oh, not only is the axe head sunk, I'm sunk, because that's a borrowed axe. Now, when you think about that, for us, we go, well, just go down to Home Depot and get another one. But, but, but that wasn't quite like that. Whoever he borrowed the axe from, that was probably his tool with which he made a living. And so we can say, well, ha, you should never borrow. That's the meaning of that passage. But, and I don't think in my whole life I've ever borrowed an axe. Those of you who know me, that's no surprise. I borrowed some of you to bring your axe and do some axing. <laughs> But I myself have never been guilty of borrowing an axe. But Elisha throws a piece of wood in the water and the axe head floats to the top. And Al's thinking, that's how I find all my tools. I need to throw a stick in my workshop and they'll all just come up. And how are we going to apply that, you see? And you go on and on. And so we read through these snippets of these miracles. They're awfully cool. And, and, and you say, that's great. But I don't really get that. What's going on there? And what's going on here? And how shall the twain meet? Well, I want to focus this. I want to put this in the context of our praying. Now, I've already tipped my hand a bit because if you know us, you know that our worship services are thematic. And so this whole worship service has been set up around miracles and praying. So we begin with great is thy faithfulness because God is faithful to bring about all that he's promised. Okay, good, I need to know that. Then this call to worship, it speaks to us of God's wondrous works, his miracles, his judgments. He's the Lord, and so we're to call upon him. That's how we began. This the Lord has done. We have, uh, we have a way into his presence. The Colossians 1 passage is a prayer passage. It's, it's what we should be praying, what the apostle was praying for us, praying that on the basis of the fact that we've been transplanted really from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. We pray the prayer of confession, apt to do. The Heidelberg confession uh, is a way that the, when they wrote that confession, it was a way to teach the people into, in, in the context of worship 
about life and worship. And so we read this about prayer. It sets us up. We sing a song called Prayer for Faith. Get it? And then we pray a prayer that Jesus taught us. And then these prayers come from our very souls, which today were needed. So what's the tie, really, with these miracles and, and our praying? And when you think of it, that praying, as I mentioned before we took that prayer of illumination, what are we doing when we pray? For what are we really asking? Well, we have needs, and so we lay them before the Lord, and that's right to do, of course. But, but, but we're really asking God to intrude upon our lives that which is true in glory and that which will be true in the age to come. What happens in these miracles? God brings by his miraculous power that which is true in glory and that will be true in the age to come into the present. So what we find here in each one of these situations, what should encourage us is that God can break through in the context of every need that we have. This widow woman had no provision, no material provision at all. Her husband died. And he was just a prophet, so I suspect they didn't make much in those days. And so, 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 so there she was, and they were in a time when Israel was declining. So no doubt all of the provisions that God had made in the context of Israel, like gleaning, like a, 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 one of his brothers taking you to be his wife, if you will, and into the family, all the provisions that God had made for her social security, if you will, her pension, uh, probably weren't happening because the people, because the, the nation was declining. And when Israel was declining, those blessings didn't exist. And so there she was with nothing. And so if she's, if we are her in the midst of that situation and we begin to pray for what are we praying? We're praying for material provision. And she had no hope, no hope at all. And so Elisha comes and through this way, through this means, and why it was that means and not another means, I have no idea. But through that miraculous way of taking that oil and, and, and gathering it and being able to sell it, and the oil that she gathered would be sufficient to, 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 to really um, provide for her and her sons, not for that day, but, but onward. And, 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 and this woman who had no son, her prayer would be to have a son. And the son comes and then he dies. And, and how can that be? Well, then life comes. And those ones who were hungry during the famine time and had no food, and, and here it comes. And even the axe head guy saying, my friend will have no way to make a living now that I've lost his axe head. We're praying to bring into the present age that which is true and glory in the age to come. You see, in the age to come, we'll live on a new earth. You know that heaven, as we call it, is only transitional. Read the end of the book. Read the Revelation 21 and 22. And um, a day will come when there will be a new earth. 
into heaven and earth, if you will, will sort of in some sense, heaven as we know it and earth as we know it, sort of merge together and God will be in our midst. And he says we won't need a sun because the Lord will be there and he will brighten it. The tree of life will be there. Thus we have this Eden flashback before Adam and Eve sinned. But it'll be better because it'll be renewed. It'll all reflect Christ. We know on that new earth, we won't be angels if that's no big surprise to you, I'm actually kind of glad. I've never liked the way they look. Um, and harp isn't my instrument. But um, uh, we'll be human beings. Huh. And we'll be fully clothed human beings, that is, fully bodied human beings. And we'll live on an earth. And we'll worship by our lives, by our work. By all of that. And so, so in, this, in, the, in these passages, what Elisha's doing is bringing into the present that which is in glory and that which is to come. A life where there is provision. And there's means to that provision. And whatever that means would happen to be, in each one of these situations, there's certain means to the provision. The, the food just didn't show up. Uh, there was oil that was made and sold. There was someone who brought bread, who had worked for it, and, and the labor of his hands was fulfilled, and, 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 it, and it, it was then given to all these others. And it, it, it was pretty cool because it fed way more than it should have. But, but still... There was means by which it had come. The stew was, was there. The pot was on. The gourds were collected. Uh, but uh, it was provision for all the people. The axe head was found that the man could work. So all of that, you see. And so when we're praying, what we're praying really is for that which is true in the age to come would be true now, that we'd see. It's us our prayer of illumination. You see, we know in the age in which, is, in which is to come, we'll see. And so what we're praying now is God enable us now to see. And we all that know that's provisional. We all know it's, it's not fulfilled. It's not complete. We still live on this world and all of that. But, but that's the longing of our heart, isn't it? Really, if we, could, if we could really look into the heart of every human being, cut away all the resistance, cut away... Uh, all the sin and cut away all of that. What really we've been made for is to know God. That's the very longing of our hearts. And so you see, as we come to live and to pray, we're praying the longing of our heart. God, enable me to see. Right? And when there is sickness, for what do we pray? We pray, God, Bring to this age that which is true in the age to come. Make this one whole. When we see lostness, what do we pray for? We pray, God, bring to this life in this age now that which is true in the age to come, which is forgiveness, right? Which is wholeness which is salvation. What do we pray for when there's material need? We pray that God would bring into this age, <laughs> which is true in the age to come, which is provision. And provision by way of work. We, we pray that people are enabled to work and to have employment, 
Why? Not because that's a concession to the here and now, that's the only way it usually happens, but that's God's means and provisions, generally speaking. Some can't work, and so what do we pray? We pray that those who can will have enough to be able to provide for those who can't, so that they would know provision, so that they would have, in this age, that which is true in the age to come. Are you getting this? This makes sense to you. When someone dies, what's the longing of our hearts? That they live. they live. So what do we pray for? We pray, oh God, would you keep us in this age with that which is true in the age to come, which is life, and grant this one who has died life. Why? Because that's who we've been made to be. And so these miracles, even the ones of Elijah and Elisha and Jesus as he brings Lazarus back to life, what's he, what are they saying to us? They're saying God can do this, and they're saying this is the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. One author uh, put it like this. He says, praying really is the cry to God for the kingdom. It's the voicing of our petitions, which ultimately are related to the inbreaking of the reign of God to meet the needs of the present. Let me read that again. He writes, it's the cry to God. So it's a cry, and I appreciated this particular author. I won't tell you who he is because I haven't finished the book and I'm not sure I like everything yet. I just like this. And I was going to just sort of put it in my own words, but he said it better, so I'm just being honest. I got this from a guy I'm not sure is as orthodox as I'd like him to be. But, I'll rewrite the end of his book. But uh, it's a cry, and I appreciate that. We talk about praying so often, it's just sort of like, oh, we just kind of say it, and we're done. Check it off our list. I did that. I prayed this morning. And that doesn't mean we have to physically cry all the time or any of the time. But, but this sense of it's a cry. It's a cry of my heart. It's a plea of my heart. This is a desperate thing. You see, this man who lost this axe head, you know, I sort of chuckle even as I say it because it seems so funny to me that that would be a big deal. But, 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 but that was devastating. And he had no way to get it back. You see, we're so, if I could put it in quotation marks, independent. We lose our axe head, we go to the store. Right? We lose our job, we get another. We need bread, we go to the grocery store. It's all here. I mean, we don't, when we're out of bread, we're not in utter desperation. Other things bring us to utter desperation. And when we get to that point of utter desperation, we really get praying. It's a cry, it's a plea, it's a, I really can't, God. You're the only one who can. It's a cry, and it's a cry for the kingdom. And we talk about the kingdom of God. We talk about this rule and reign of God. And you say, well, doesn't God rule and reign over everything? And the answer to that is yes. But this praying for the kingdom is a praying for the kingdom in, in a more um, particular sense. It's a praying for the kingdom that John the Baptist spoke about when he said, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's that kingdom that Jesus spoke about when he uttered those same words, repent because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's that same kingdom that um, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about when Nicodemus said, 
came to him and said, how do I enter the kingdom of God? And he said, it's, it's buying, being born from above. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. It's that kingdom to be born. You must be born into it. It's that, that same kingdom that Jesus talked about when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the rule and reign of God that comes into the lives of people first and foremost. That rule and reign of God that, that overcomes all our resistance to it. That rule and reign of God that comes into the lives of people wherein they joyfully obey him and follow his rule. It's that kingdom of God then that comes into a person's life out of which is reflected Jesus, the king. It's that kingdom of God then that comes through those people who have so been born into this kingdom and who are walking in the context of the world that this kingdom then is manifested in all kinds of places. It's that kingdom, you see. It's a cry for that. Because when we walk around the world and we see it as it is and we look into our own lives and we see it apart from that, we cry to God, what I see, what I'm experiencing, what's here isn't your rule and reign as it is in heaven, as it will be in the age to come. Therefore, God, bring that. People often come to me because I'm obviously the wisest one among us. <laughs> and I say, Bill, how do I pray for this and that, you know? And, uh, and I, I say, well, how is this and that going to be in glory? Pray for that. Person sick, how will they be in glory? Well, pray that they get well. This person has a financial need. How will it be in glory? That need will be met. Pray for that. This person is lost. How will any be on the new earth saved? Pray for that. Persons in pain, how will it be in the age to come? They will, see, they will have no pain. Pray for that. This person's grieving. How will they be in the age to come? They won't be grieving. They won't be crying. Then pray for that. See, that's what we pray. And you go, well, what if it doesn't happen? Well, it will. In the age to come. Don't ever think that our prayers are simply bound to this age. And if it doesn't happen in this age, then God hasn't heard our prayers. There's a sense in which, and this is mysterious, and I even say this thinking I'm speaking way beyond my pay grade here. But, 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 but there's a sense in which all of our prayers that are kingdom prayers, that are godly prayers, if we can put it this way, I'm just quoting my old Puritan friends. They're dead and can't defend themselves are being stored up and the day will come when we'll see them all answered because we'll see the salvation of the Lord. Thus, it is no surprise that as Jesus, the King, teaches us to pray, he prays, says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, you are holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Both together. On earth, as it is in heaven. 
that we're praying that that which is true in glory and that which will be true in the age to come when heaven comes to earth will be true now. And why do we pray that? Because that's the very reflection of Christ. That's for which we long. <laughs> that which is true of him will be seen now. Nothing else can satisfy. And so when we're praying this, we're praying things like, God, save this one, that one. Save the people of the world. Why? Because that's what the new earth will look like. It'll look like a whole group of people who are saved. Thus, save them, God. Make this earth like the one to come. Save it. And save the people in it. That's our heart's desire. What else for which can we pray along those lines? But, but that. And then, of course, once we pray that, we pray that God would raise up harvesters, as Jesus said, to go into this harvest and to to bring them to us in our own lives. We find ourselves to be that. We share this faith with our children. We share this faith with our friends. We share this faith in various places. Why? Because we're praying. That's our heart's desire. God, save this place. Your kingdom come. Your rule in people's lives. May they receive it and believe it and live it. We're praying for sins to be forgiven, ours and others. Why? Because there'll be no guilt in glory. No guilt on the new earth. So we're praying, God, bring that now. Bring that into my own life. All the places in which I failed and sinned, please forgive my sins in such a way, even now, please, God, that, that I, I won't have guilt and shame. Please, please take this from me and, and take this from this other as well so that they can know the forgiveness of sins. They, they can live in it as well. That's my desire for them. Even the ones who've hurt me, I pray, God, that, that you, would, you would forgive their sins so, so that they would, they would know sins forgiven so that they could live now as they will live even on this new earth. God, forgive their sins. So what does that mean? That means that when there isn't reconciliation, when there's difference between people, when, when they're at odds and they go to one another, why? So that this forgiveness can take place not only with God but with each other because on this new earth, in this new age, we're gonna live one with each other. So do it now. If that's the longing of our heart for then, 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 then why should we live in the misery of it now? So, so bring it together. Make reconciliation. You see, that's what we're praying for in this kingdom. Kingdom praying. We're praying that people would have provision. God, help them find jobs. Help them work. And because we want their needs to be met as their needs will be met in glory and on the new earth. And so what does that mean? Well, that means we pray for them. And that means when there's needs, we help. Why? Because we want them to be restored. We want them to, to know what it's going to be like. And, and, and so we give. Why? So that people would have these needs met. So they'd see the glory of God as the glory of giving. You see, when we're giving, what we're doing is we're we could say it this way, maybe crass and crude. We're giving them a piece of heaven where we're giving so that people will, will, will know what is to come, uh, the gospel and, and this provision. When people are sick, what do we do? We pray that they be healed. Why? Because that's what it's going to be like, and that's the desire of our hearts, and so we pray that God would heal them. And, and, and what does that mean? Well, that, that means that we, we go to them and we, we help them. 
And we are used as agents of God in whatever way possible to alleviate their suffering. We, we pray for justice, that there be justice in our land. What does that mean? It means that, that in the age to come, there'll be justice everywhere. So what does that mean? That means that we pray for that. That means that we work for that because that is what is going to come. That's praying these kingdom prayers. You get it? You understand? Take this. Go with it. Live with it. Pray like this. Elijah, Elisha, the prophets, they lived like that. They had a special calling on their lives to, to be the age of God, to bring that in all these dramatic kinds of ways. We see that from time to time, not through any particular people, but through the acts of God when we see miraculous provision. But, but I'll tell you this. There's no more miraculous provision in the context of the lives of sinners than kindness and justice and compassion and mercy, and forgiveness. That's the kingdom manifesting itself among us. Let's pray. Father, pray for me and for us that we would be uh, kingdom Prayers. We can only be kingdom prayers when we're kingdom desirers. So, Father, I pray that we would long for the kingdom of God, and we would long to see it in all of its fullness. And so, Father, I, I pray that we would be ones whose hearts are broken over the world in which we live in such a way that we would voice this brokenness on our knees and we would pray for the repentance and faith, the salvation of all who do not believe in you, that they may know true salvation. That we would pray that you would use us in various ways in the lives of others to bring them this truth. May our hearts break for them and for your glory. And we pray, Father, for those in need today. Not only in need of the gospel, but in, in need of physical things. And, and so, Father, we pray that you would grant employment to those in our midst who need it. Father, for others who have to be willing to share so the provision can happen. Father, we pray for those who are, who are ill today, who are sick. We pray for Lorraine Canistra, God, that you would be with her in her present suffering and heal her. Cause her to cast her cares upon you, God. For Dale Robeson, as he suffers and continues to receive cancer treatment, we pray for him, Father, that you would heal him and others, countless others, God. Everyone's making a list even as we pray of those who need your healing, and so we pray that you would heal and, and help us then, God, to be helpers of them, to bless them, God to bring them comfort 
Father, we pray for those who experience injustice in these days that they would be treated fairly and that we would treat people fairly, God. We come to those who haven't been and help them. We pray for those who've turned away from your ways. Help us to draw them back, God. We pray, God, that you would, in fact, um, enable us to be obedient, to follow after you, to you would not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that we would depend upon our Lord Jesus and rely upon his righteousness, rely upon your spirit and your word, and that we would live in such a way that is pleasing to you. So help us, we pray. Enable us to live now as we will in the age to come. Pray for those who are grieving. We pray for uh, Lita and her family. The passing of Wilbur, we continue to pray for them, that you would bless them. Pray for Joe and Mary and their family on the passing of Rachel. Father, we pray that even as Jesus knows our grief and how to express that grief that all these would know, how to express their grief, and even as Jesus knows how to receive comfort that they would receive comfort. Father, we give you thanks for all that you have done for us. We know it's complete in Jesus, but we pray that it would be manifest among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the benediction. <clears throat> There'll be elders uh, available to pray uh, after the service in these down front here. If you have a particular need, please come. I trust they will meet. They will meet with, with you. So now please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence and that with great joy. To only wise God and Savior Jesus Christ to be glory, dominion, majesty, and power both now and forevermore, and together let us sing.